Podcast. This is Remy Warren. I am Rihanna Carey. My name is Adam Foss. This is Paul Tedford, professional archer. Hey everyone, I'm Christy Titus, and you are listening to Archery Maniac. We cover everything archery, from the hunting side to the tournament side, with stories, tips and tactics, gear reviews, and more. That helped my tuning game so much when I made sure that all my arrows were square. And I'm just staring into his eyes. Blood's dripping off of its tines. Mud is everywhere. The clarity these mavens offer is amazing. I'm just like Spider-Man, you know, on this rock. You know, just laying there. <laughs> Belly crawling in there, and I can barely fit in there, and I can hear the cat growling at me. So I put my hand on his shoulder and pushed him, and we just ran at this elephant. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning into the podcast. I have Mark Smith sitting here across from me at the Baku booth. Um, really appreciate Baku allowing me to do podcasts here at their booth on these super comfortable couches. <laughs> and it works great until the people over at Mountain Ops start playing their guitars and all their music. And then, then this, <laughs> this area is a little too loud for a podcast. But if you haven't checked out Baku, be sure to check out their e-bikes. Um, you know, I, I tested Quiet Cat and Rambo and Baku before I even really knew the Baku guys. And hands down, I really, really like their bikes. I just think the technology and everything that they have is just superior. And on top of it, Dave and Brian are just excellent people. So be sure to check out Baku. Um, so, yeah, we have Mark here and he and I are going to talk a little bit about locating mule deer in the high country. And then we're going to talk a little bit about um, a mule deer hunt that he went on this past year in 2019. Because I think, you know, I, I think I think people tend to go about finding animals in the wrong way. I think I think the the question where do you go is such a I don't know. It's it's a question that nobody wants to hear and nobody really wants to ask. But I think if you approach that differently, like as a, you know, well, what did you look for when you went, when you found that deer or, you know, why that basin instead of that basin or whatever. So Mark, I really would love to dive into some, some things, you know, that, that kind of, that kind of handle that and cover that because like I mentioned to you, I, I haven't hunted high country mule, mule deer all that much. I really haven't. I spent a lot of time in the sage country. And when I go out there, I kind of feel like I'm home. I kind of, kind of go out there and I'm like, oh, there's, I'm finding deer. I kind of know where to look, but I get in the high country and it's kind of a whole different monster. In, yeah. in my opinion, at the end of the day, you're still looking for food, shelter, water, and there's a reason an animal's there. Uh, yeah, but you kind of want to look for the right things. So I would love to just kind of dive in there and, and start kind of discussing that. Okay, perfect. Yeah, well, thanks, Zach, for having me on. Glad to be here. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk about... Uh, high country mule deer, which will typically be archery hunting mule deer, which is uh, kind of my, uh, that was my, I, you know, it's hard to say that was my thing because it was my thing for a long time. But uh, now being back in Texas as a resident in Texas, I only pick and choose the hunts I go on. It usually goes around the draw. And lately I've been popping some pretty good tags for rifle hunts, little later hunts in Colorado and, and New Mexico. So, um, but I definitely have the 20 year plus experience of approaching and, and taking some really nice bucks in the high country of Colorado, Wyoming. So, uh, or not Wyoming, but Colorado and Utah. 
I don't even have a Wyoming buck. Can you believe that? So uh, I need to do that. I live in Wyoming. Just yeah. come stay at the house. While I, I, li- I lived in Colorado, <laughs> and I could just put all my effort, and I could draw every year. So, you know, I just focused on Colorado. But the principles, you know, I'm good friends with Robbie Denning, and, and, and we share a lot of information. And hunting Colorado and Wyoming is the same. I mean, it's if you watch, uh, you know, some of the hunting shows, you'll see these guys hunting basins in Wyoming or Colorado. It's the same. You good? Yeah, you're good. Yeah, okay. And so the principle's the same, elevation different, a little bit, little bit higher in Colorado than anywhere else, really. They're the highest peaks. But So anyway, <clears throat> let's lay down some 101. If you're going to go on a high country hunt for mule deer, uh, understanding the season, that's late summer. That is the end of summer before fall because fall doesn't come to late September. So actually you are hunting in, in the summertime. Right. In their summer range. And so let's just say high country, Colorado, anything above timberline, anything above some 11.5 above so you're above timberline right at the edge of the lodgepole pines right uh and then you're up in the stunted uh junipers and the stunted uh spruce and stuff like that in the willow patches big open basins and that's where you find the biggest bucks and the reason you find the biggest bucks in that country is because they um they're growing you know exceptional bucks are growing really big antlers right and those really big antlers are something they want to take care of believe it or not man they are uh (laughs) <laughs> big bucks are kind of vain and they want to take care of those antlers they don't want to tear them up they like them they use them for breeding and they use them for you know being attractive later on to right. the ladies right <laughs> so they want to keep that headgear uh nice and and in shape and not torn up and infected from bugs and flies eating on the torn you know that's just solid blood watch growing right so that's why you don't you see those bigger bucks out in the wide open even like middle of the day just laying in really low stunted growth they're up there it's cooler there's less bugs um and they're not having to protect their velvet as much and so when you they usually get back into that high country in colorado um the really high stuff you can't even get up into where i hunt until after usually the fourth of july so on a normal year now i know it was been exceptional the last few years with the snowfall idaho colorado wyoming and everything but uh let's just say a typical year in colorado i'd always start my scouting right after the fourth of july and i don't go scout a whole bunch because the deer aren't going anywhere until they start their annual migration out of that high country down to lower private lands and into the timber when they go into their early fall transition. We'll get to that in a minute. Once you find them in July, don't keep scouting them. You can go put some cameras out if you want, but you're really moving in on their bedding areas and water sources to hang those cameras. And for me, just the less intrusive that I am, the better. I never really did a lot. I've always been a one scouting trip guy or two in the summer. I'd go up, but I lived in Colorado. So I would go up, I'd scout, glass the basins i knew which and i hunted familiar ground i always like to hunt the same units i'm not a guy that like to bounce around a lot once i found units that hold mature bucks they've been coming there since dinosaurs were on the planet so if they're always going to come there so once you find a spot that holds big bucks if you find big bucks in a basin on average you're always going to find mature bucks in those basins that's just where big bucks like to hide right so um i go up there after july Sometimes if I find one that's really tripped my trigger, that's got a lot of mass, and he hadn't quite forked all the way out in the front yet, and they usually don't. You know, you're just getting up to your first forks, actually. Yep. But if I see one that really trips my trigger, man, there were times I'd go back in mid-August and try to find him again just to see if he's – is he in this basin or is he a mile over? Because they might move a mile, right? And so until opening day starts, those deer are going to be right wherever you found them in the summer. 
And a lot of people say, well, no, I've had to move off. And I, I would venture to say, no, you just didn't find them. Right. And it's not like they're going to be at the wide open 24-7. Yeah. You, you can miss them. You, and we'll get into that on, on the late hunt. You can walk. You can literally walk within feet of a gigantic mule deer buck, and he may not even blink, let you just walk right by him. And I've seen him do it a hundred times. So uh, just because you saw him in July and then you saw him in August and you start panicking by day three of your archery hunt, you don't see him, don't panic. He's there. Don't go shooting a constellation buck, something you didn't really want to shoot because you think your buck's gone. Your buck's there. You got to find him. Look for him. So unless a mountain lion moves in on him, or um, opening day success, hey, is that that noise you were talking about? <laughs> yeah, that's a mountain little bit op, of it. Mountain ops getting fired up. <laughs> you huh? wait. You wait till yeah. the music kicks in. <laughs> I'll try to be done before they do, man, because I hard to hear it anyway. <laughs> Love you guys at mountain ops, but you're loud. <clears throat> so yeah. So uh, and I'd like to strike early, man. I believe yeah. in all things, hunting, life, and business. In, in business, hunting, family, football, <laughs> strike early. Put points on the board as soon as you can. Don't wait to see how things unfold in the fourth quarter because you might go home with an unpunched tag. And that's okay, too, I've learned. At 50 years old, I'll be 50 this year. And sometimes you just go home with unpunched tags. Yeah. But for you young bucks that are in your 20s and you're just wanting to whack them and stack them and build your resume, you want to get some bucks on the ground, right? right? And I I was that guy. I wanted <clears> to get – man, I, I had the same uh, mentality Cam Haynes had back then. Me and him grew up in the industry together. And our philosophy back then – you know, he's a giant killer now. But yeah, yeah. back then we were both like, if we can make it look good in a photo, it dies. <laughs> if it looked good in the photo, because that's before social media yeah. and filters, you had to make it look good for magazines, right? And for sponsor catalogs and things. So when I'd see a buck that a nice three point four to the back, three point twenty three inches wide, I can make that buck look twenty seven inches wide easy. So <laughs> I'd shoot that buck. And that's just fact, man. Right. And and then and then you know, you pile up some nice bucks, but then you get a little older and you're like, man, I truly want to focus on mature deer. Mm -hmm. And so now Cam's the same way with his elk and deer. And I'm the same way with my deer. I just want to shoot mature bucks. So back to the back to the high country tactics. Um, I like to strike early. I like to get in there. And uh, a lot of people ask me, "Where do you camp? How, how do I camp?" Okay, so you got some deer located in a basin that you want to hunt. They're but but why why did you pick that basin? Let's even start there because, as you know, right, yep. the, the the person might have three to four days that they're going to get boots on the ground. Some of them don't have that, but let's just say you do. Yeah. Yep. Let's say you have three or four days and either the, the end of July or beginning of August that you're going to go on your scouting trip and you're looking at Google earth. Yep. I mean, a lot of those basins look a lot alike, right? You know, okay. whether it be the East facing West facing North, who knows? Right. Right. But you start looking, you're like, well, I remember, I remember that one guy, that Robbie Dinning guy, he was talking about looking for stuff above tree line. And then, so-and-so was talking about, well, look for rock slides. And so-and-so was talking about, look for really lime green grass. And I mean, there's so much stuff out there. So what am I looking for? Right, right. All right. Well, what you're looking for, mainly looking for, is food sources. And I got some, there's a great, uh, if you go to the Utah Divisional Wildlife page and pull up, um, they have a page called, I'm looking at it right now, Utah Division of Wildlife, Search Wildlife. Just pull up mule deer, and it says learn about mule deer and habitat. Right. It is amazing, man. This thing right here is like, I get, like, I learn, I know what I know about mule deer, and I right. learn it from research. But this is research I did in, like, encyclopedias and books before there was social media or internet and all this stuff, right? But now you can just go, just go to Google and say, what do mule deer eat? Man, go learn this stuff. Right. And then focus, and then, and then. When it says like right here, summer forbs and fall shrubs, broad broadleaf vegetation, and so that's like mountain bluebell, dandelion, sawtooth uh, butter butterweed, kachia, 
some of it's all tailcup lupine. Well, go Google tailcup lupine. You go look at the kind of grasses and forbs that are in the country that you're planning to hunt. I could sit in a seminar and say, well, they feed on antelope bitterbrush and they feed on willows. Well, yeah, they feed on willows above timberline in Colorado at 12,000 feet. Right. But they're not eating that in the sage-swept high desert of New Mexico. They're eating antelope bitterbrush. Yeah. Okay, good. Mark said, you're going to be eating antelope bitterbrush. I'm going to go hunt that. Okay, what's an antelope bitterbrush look, like? look like? Go look it up, man. <laughs> go look up antelope bitterbrush and go find it in the woods that you hunt, right? Go to New Me- like in New Mexico. That is the key pr- high protein food source in New Mexico, and it lasts well into the fall. Go if you find a big green patch of antelope bitterbrush on the desert floor of New Mexico, go look at how many deer tracks are around it. It's right. amazing, right? And if you glass deer feeding, be observant. If you glass deer feeding, do two things. Walk. If you see a big buck you want to kill, this, this is just, we're going to be all over the place, but That's let's just, fine. let these just be golden nuggets, man. Let's not have a routine. Let's just go through That's this stuff. That's cool with me. You see a big buck you want to kill. If he wanders off and he gets out of the way and you can sneak down to where he's at, go down there and do two things. Look at his tracks because it's like a fingerprint. Every deer's foot's different. Look at his footprints and take pictures of them. Memorize what that footprint looks like. Number two, look at what he was eating. Look at what he was eating. And go identify what he was eating, and put that in your put that back in your backlog. Okay, that was antelope bitterbrush. Hey, that was uh, some of these other things I talked about: mountain mahogany. Maybe it was willows, um, dandelions. They eat dandelions. They love dandelions. So dandelions are everywhere, right? In the summer. So go 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 look at his track. And, and so, if you can't find your buck, and you're looking for him, you have one more piece in your arsenal that you at least know what his track looks like. It could be a rounded off toe. He on his right right front foot. He could have broke off that front left toe dew claw, right? Or a toe or something. So one toe could be longer than the other. And it's two inches wide and three inches long. That's a big mature deer track. See, right. I've killed several deer. I've tracked and killed a lot of deer, just tracking deer in general. But I have killed specific bucks by using their tracks to know where they were at and knowing where they were living. Yeah. And I think that's, oh, yeah, this guy, you know, sounds kind of far-fetched. Like, what does he think? He's Daniel Boone? You Kind of. I mean, I, I, I'm a mountain man. I've been mountain man forever. I consider yeah. myself a mountain man. I think yeah. you're a mountain man, so I'll put that in your bailiwick. That's what we do. We, we find ways to get it done, right? Right. So using tracks, using food sources. Um, and I think the hardest thing that I've found about food sources is I can go and I can Google it. Right. And say like a dandelions. But when I pull that up on Google Earth, for instance, it's I find it sometimes challenging to know what type of terrain is going to grow that dandelion. Does that make does that make sense to Google that? Yeah. What at what elevation does dandelion grow in the mountains of Wyoming? Right. Boom. Somebody wrote that somewhere. Right. Take that information. Put it in your notes on your phone. Everybody carries a cell phone now. Go to notes and put Wyoming scouting trip. And then put itemized list. I'm going to go look for dandelion. I'm going to look for these grasses. I'm going to look for these forbs. And now I'm just going to go do my normal scouting. Then when you get up in the mountains and you start scouting and you start glass and deer, pay attention to what they're eating. Pay attention to where they're bedding. They like to bed under these specific types of trees. They like to eat these specific types of foods. Find basins with those trees and those foods. You're already ahead of the curve. We were so, growing into this, we were so broad or so... Yeah, I guess broad-based on info. Now, start drilling. We can all be professionals at everything we want to be because of the information that's out there. Just start drilling down on this stuff and paying attention yeah. and take that with you. So the number one thing, so let's go even back further than that. Where do I even want to start? And that's what you were talking about a while ago. Right. Pull up Google Earth. Yeah. And let's say, okay, this is where I drew my unit. 
and me, you know, I'm a backcountry guy. I don't yeah. even want to start hunting until I'm over three miles in. Right. Uh, unless I'm hunting the Wasatch and you can't get three miles in. Right. Because yeah. from yeah. this road to the peak down to the other road is less than three miles. <laughs> yeah. So you yeah. just have to go high and fight the people. But in Colorado, you can go three miles, two miles, two miles. Colorado, two miles is good. And then uh, and, and you get away from people. Right. And then I don't know about Idaho, Wyoming, but I'm assuming two to three miles is that magic number. Yep. Because the people just, you know, this the hardcore. But, you know, the hardcore guys are growing. They you know, are. Hunting might be declining, but hardcore dudes are growing. This whole right. industry where we're at here at the Western Hunt Expo, Conservation Expo, is uh, this is all about hardcore dudes. These are the real dudes right here. Yeah. And, and these guys are all willing to go do what I'm going to do. But I'm so old anymore, I don't give a crap. So I'm just going to talk. I won't name specific units out of respect for myself, the units, yeah. the people that hunt them. But the, the hows and the whys, I'll share all that stuff. So yeah. we're looking at, at a topo map. Let's just say I pull a unit in Colorado and a unit that I like. I've hunted it before. But I kind of want to move around a little bit. Here's what I'm going to look for. I'm going to look for tall peaks that have where the terrain runs. When I say the terrain, let's just say the ridge line. Let's just say a, a peak. There's a 14, or let's say a 13,000 foot peak. I want to go hunt around that peak. It's going to have ridges that run off of it. What I like to do is find ridges that run north and south, not east and west this way. Okay. So you're looking at me. You people can't see it, but I'm showing you. So here's north, here's south, east yep. and west. Here's a mountain peak. Yep. This mountain peak's going to have a ridge that runs off of it like this. Yep. Maybe like this. Okay. On the very south-facing slope in the summertime of anything is going to be just pea gravel and rocks and maybe a few wild strawberries in September. But a lot of times, dark timber rolls right up into south-facing, has the sun on it the most, so the least mm -hmm. shade. Things are baked over there first. That's really not somewhere I'm going to look on the south-facing slope. Right. Okay. Well, I'm going to look for, if I if you throw an elk tag in there, I'm only north-facing. I'm only in dark north timber. Yep. And those elk will come out of that north dark-facing timber, feed into those east-facing bowls, and because of the way the sun comes up and goes down in the summertime, it's the longest days, right? Yep. So they're more to the south hemisphere, and they're going over and back. And, it's the, and so the shade's growing sooner. So the sun comes up in the east, mm -hmm. so an east-facing slope is going to get the sun on it first, but it's going to have the first shade also. So it comes up, the sun goes, so the north's always going to have the shade. Yep. The, the north and east is going to have the shade first. So if I'm hunting, I want to be, I'll get to you know where I set up for them. So I'm just on that north slope, and I'm watching those deer. They'll bed right out in the open, but they'll bed in shrubs, in the willows. I mean, I've seen them in big willow patches that are six, eight feet tall. They'll stand up, eat the willow, and lay right back down. And some of that willow is so thick and tall in Colorado, you can't even see the deer. you got to watch where the tips of their velvet. Right. But they'll move out into little openings to eat grasses, uh, some of the broadleaf grasses and some of the dandelions and the other stuff we talked about in, in, in the other forbs. But then they move back into that shade. And if, they're, if there's a lot of water on the side there where they're enjoying living for the summer, but there's not a lot of big timber. Uh, as the days change and cloud cover changes, sometimes they'll move into the dark. They'll drop a little lower in the dark timber, but they're usually not more than 50 yards down in the dark timber in the summertime. And my, from my experience, they're just not going to go clear down to where the elk are, unless they're going to cross over to another basin or something. And some of the basins that I hunt are real narrow basins. And so the deer do cross those a lot. Right. So, but so I have killed people. I've killed deer in dark timber. One of the first really big bucks I ever killed, that 181 buck, the first year I was a Colorado resident. I killed him in Lodgepole Pine. And people were like, you're talking about killing deer above timberline and you're in Lodgepole Pine. <laughs> well, at the bottom of this basin, the deer use that, this big this big valley, to go to the next side. I just happened to catch him in mid-morning in a transition coming across. I would have walked up on him and shot him. Yeah. So it was awesome, right? So I look for north and east-facing uh, east facing mostly with water and willows is what I'm going to look for. Number one, it's going to have the sunlight's going to hit it first. 
for my morning hunt, so I get after it. And then they have the earliest shade in the afternoon, so I get right back to hunting deer at three rather than having to wait till whatever. And there may be deer on the south side. There may be deer on the west side, but typically not as much as that east and north facing stuff, in my opinion. And that's right. just my experience. And, and there could be a guy sitting right next to me, a great mule deer hunter, and say, all of that's false. I've never killed a deer on the east side. Right. I can only tell you my experience, right? Exactly. But, but exactly. if you, I can tell you in Utah, Colorado, I hunt them the same way, man. Right here on the Wasatch or down in the Women Hooch Wilderness, I hunt yeah. them the same way. That's cool. Yeah, that's it, for sure. Because I, you know, I I've noticed too that as soon as, like you say, that sun starts to bake that vegetation and it's no longer for lack of different words, like a fresh growth. Of yeah, no nutrients left in it. Yeah, it just, they don't want it. No, as soon as that willow starts turning, and that's how you know, if you, if you, if you, something happened and you just have to get out, you can call, in Wyoming it goes a little longer. You can hunt clear into September, late September, yep. early October. I've seen guys do it on TV and my friends, the Whitworths, they've killed deer with their snow up there above Timberline. In Colorado, man, it can get pretty intense. And those deer, as soon as that willow turn starts turning red and yellow, uh, man, boom! They're in the timber, and that's the next phase of the of deer. You know, so they right. the let's just talk about big bucks, right? So big bucks, they're fine with living in bachelor groups. The biggest of the big bucks are always at the fringe of the bachelor groups. They're not acting like silly two-year-old three-points and one-year-old forked horns. They're mm-hmm. not acting like those bucks, but they're living with them because they're safety in numbers, and they right. live around them, right? But the instant that velvet comes off. They're a completely different animal. They and that's that's cliche, but they are almost a different species of when they were just a week ago in velvet. But as soon as that velvet comes off and the rubbed hard antler, the big bucks will still associate with other big bucks, but they're not living with little bucks anywhere around them because now they're wanting to go into complete solitude and they're wanting all of the because all of the the food source is dying off at a fast rate. At the, the easy pickings, the stuff that's really making me fat for the rut and for the winter. All of that stuff I've been eating is starting to die off. Now I've got to move a little lower to the next. Well, as you go down, the foods, the deer start to concentrate as they move down. And as the deer move down and concentrate, the food source is supply and demand. Now the food source starts to shrink a little bit. So the bucks don't want to compete for feed with the does. They don't want to, and they don't want to be associating with immature bucks because they're starting to think now a little bit about the days are getting a little shorter. I'm fixing to start doing what God made me to do. I'm fixing to start breeding, and I'm mm-hmm. just going to reserve all my energy. I don't want to be jacking around, and they're going to lay low, and they're not going to move around much at daylight at all. They'll get up, stand up, feed, and they'll bed by a food source or a water source, and they'll stay right by that. And then by the time, and that's from late September through late October. And then late October, now they're rubbing trees hard. They're swollen, big neck. Food is less of a concern for mule, for bucks. But it's a major concern for does, and they are absolutely starting to move down now below that, even below dark timber. Now they're moving through the sagebrush. They're moving out into subdivisions. They're starting to go into their winter range, and they're focusing on sage, other uh, other types of uh, forbs like um, uh, shoots of, uh, or not shoots, but buds mm-hmm. and acorns, a lot of acorns and scrub oak. They're starting to focus on that. So you see those deer, like here in the Wasatch, above timberline, you're hunting them in the shrub oak eating the grasses and the forbs and the willows above timberline 
But then, man, those guys that are really keying in on the late season bucks here, they're hunting them in the acorns, man. You know, and that's yeah. a, that's a key is the acorns in October, November. The acorns are big. And that's where the does and fawns and young bucks are going to be. And the big bucks start moving down, living around that, but they're still not totally in it to win it until that first doe comes into estrus. <laughs> And then it's over. And then the big bucks are living at the fringe of the herds. And you're starting to see them more in daylight hours. And then, and, and I can give you tactics on how we approach those seasons for hunting. Yeah. Um, so in the high country, the early season stuff, we identified the basin, north and east facing slopes, identified food sources, got in there quick, and either got the buck killed or I didn't. And then by then, and so by September 24th, 25th, season's over in Colorado. Right. So that the bow hunting and the muzzleloader hunting is over. So from there, we're going to move into our rifles into the October general hunts, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just let's use Colorado again because that's my experience. Colorado. Now let's move to New Mexico right now because yeah. this is the season I killed. So even though it was the first week in November when I killed this, uh, for the listeners, I just killed the biggest buck of my life. I killed a 194 uh, gross Boone and Crockett typical 4x4. Four four. He's so big. And he was big. Just and, beautiful, too. Yeah, and just Man. a beautiful deer. Man. And my best friend, Jeremy Duggar, the guy I mule deer hunt with, he killed his biggest buck ever, a 223 or 228 uh, gross, non-typical, giant monarch of a buck on the yeah. same hunt. And our friend Omni Warner, Warner killed on the same day. We killed three bucks on the same in 24 hours. And... Total inches were over 600 inches of antler on three deer and over a half ton of meat. You know what I mean? We're yeah. talking some. My, my buck alone was like 350. It was a giant. That's deer. so crazy. Yeah, so much meat, and and I'm all about the meat. But I, I like the antlers, but you know when I kill a big deer like that, let's look at how much hamburger that's going to be, man. And that was so uh, on the video, I'm going to show my seminar today, man. It's some really raw emotional video because I got overwhelmed. I'm going to get overwhelmed right now. <clears throat> I walked up and I knew that was the biggest deer I ever killed. It was the biggest body deer I ever killed, and I just got on my knees and I started crying, and I couldn't stop crying. And the guy was just filming me just to get that raw emotion. And I don't know if it's because I knew I was being filmed. Uh, I really tried to hold back. And the more I tried to hold back, the more the big tears came. And man, I was on my knees just crying. I was overwhelmed with joy and gratitude and thankfulness. And so many hours had accumulated to this one moment, man. And it was just, it was a huge moment for me to kill yeah. that biggest deer, dude. It was humongous. So um, that story on those deer was that wasn't a New Mexico general hunt, man. It wasn't even a special tag. It was just a general season. And, you know, New Mexico is no points. You just have to draw the tag yep. and go. We just got super lucky, man. We just put in and there very few tags in this unit, and we drew it. And I drew it, and Jeremy drew it. Uh, we drew the rifle tags. One of our friends drew the, the, the muzzleloader tag. He killed a 218 buck. <laughs> and then uh, Omni Warner, our friend, he drew the tag. So... The way we approached that hunt was, okay, this is gigantic, vast country with very low deer density. This is one of those units you hear the old timers say, you won't see many deer in there, but when you do, it's a whopper. Right. We good on time? Yep. Yep. All right. And, uh, Just want to make sure it's still recording. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so this is one of those units where when you find one, it's probably going to be big. Just because the deer dying of old age out there, mm-hmm. right? And the young bucks are are getting hit with the. There's only a few archery hunts, a few muzzleloader, a few rifle, and by the time the breeding season comes, the late season, the seasons are over. So the very few deer even get killed there, and the ones that do are usually immature, except for the hardcore hunters, right? So, um, Jer, I'm a Texas resident, so I didn't get to do any of the scouting. I depended 100 on Jeremy, and Jeremy did the scouting on this hunt, and he's an archery shop owner, so there's a sense of. Uh, his patronage has a sense of uh, service to him because he serves the whole community. So people feel like 
if Jeremy Drews draws a tag, they want to serve him, right? They want to give him info, yeah. intel, and it's awesome, man. Because everybody, <laughs> you know, that's that's oil and gas fields out there, right? So right. every well hand knows where every big buck is out in that country, and every one of them found out Jeremy and I had that tag, and they just, I guess, we're just likable people. And mm-hmm. Jeremy is absolutely the finest human being that's ever drawn a breath of air. I love him, and so for him. Uh, to be in his position, people just want him to be successful right. and they want to help him. The problem with that, Jeremy's just a dude. He's got pride, right? So even though everybody wants to tell him about the bucks, he doesn't want to go kill those bucks. He wants to find his own bucks. Yeah. So the way he approached it was he went on Google Earth and he looked at the most vast, sparse, farthest from any main road country he could find that had a water source. And he found two ponds out in the middle of, for cattle in the middle of freaking, I'm talking <laughs> nowhere. Yeah. And he went out and he hung trail cameras on them. And he started finding bucks. And the Wednesday night before our hunt, we were focused on a one big typical that would grow, that would net over 200. And another couple of big bucks with extras that would, in the 190 grows with extras. So we were focused in on those bucks and this big typical, Jeremy, we were calling the big vanilla buck, which is vanilla, clean, four point, but he was giant. Well, <clears throat> That is annoying, isn't it? That yeah. bull riding thing there. So uh, it's not their fault. I guess it's where we set up. Yeah. So Jeremy, um, he goes out the last time to pull cards the Wednesday before the season opener on Saturday, and he has one picture of just the head and neck of this giant non-typical buck walking by the pond in the middle of the night. So now we know this deer's living there. This is a train. This is a spot. These are resident deer. Yeah. These are non-migratory deer. There's not giant, it's just vast sage surrounded by rim rock. That deer is somewhere in that area. In three days, we get to hunt him, and we're we're jacked. We're stoked. So, cool thing happens, opening morning, um, Jeremy's like, hey, I'm going to go look for that vanilla buck. You go see about the big non-tip, see if you can turn him up. So, I went and climbed up in this sage, or up this rim rock, glass is gigantic sage of sea, the sea of sage, right? Like miles of sage with this pond in the middle of it. So, I'm about three quarters of a mile from the pond on this rim rock. And a little after seven, I see this truck way in the distance, a little white dot going through the sage and drives right down to the pond. And so I put my, uh, I have, I'm using 15 uh, by 56 Kaibabs from Vortex, and I put those up, and I'm looking at the truck and the pond. I can see the truck and the pond in my glass. I'm like, man, those guys must be road hunters. There's no reason for a, a, a non-well hand, you know, it's not an oil-filled truck. It's a yeah, white, yeah, plain yeah. truck. They're hunting, obviously, and they're sitting at that pond, and I, I get a shimmer of something in my glass, in the bottom of my glass, there's that freaking in daylight, giant, non-typical buck standing in the sagebrush 100 yards from the pond. And there's the truck 100 yards from the pond. So 200 yards distance. Here's a truck with hunters in it and a giant, non-typical buck standing there. And I'm like, I'm fixing to watch this. So, you know, through 15s at three-quarters of a mile, all I could tell was if you took that deer's antlers and superimposed them on his body, they're the same height and width. So the deer's antlers are the same dimensions as his body on top of his head. You follow me? Yeah. So yeah. here's this mass, and here's this mass, and they're equal sized. Oh my god! And I'm like, that thing looks like a freaking <laughs> king's calendar right there, man. This thing is giant. And I'm like, well, that's just what God wanted me to see today, man. And if I'm watching him go down, at least I got to see that deer get smoked. And, I, and if he, if I hear that gun go off, I'm running to my truck, and I'm gonna drive over there and lay my hands on this thing. I want to see it, at least get yeah. pictures with it, right? And I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and this deer did what giant deer do, man. He, he, kind of. Uh, 
you just pointed down like he bedded down. Yeah. But let me tell you what he did. It's even so super cooler than that, man. That deer realizes, because that truck slow rolled up on that pond, but the deer kind of didn't hear it. But he did turn around and finally notice it. I'm watching the deer, and he turns his head, and he's looking at that truck. And he pins his ears back, lowers his head down to the height of his withers, and starts stiff leg walking really slow, almost like he was in rut, fixing to like fight a buck, but he was making the slowest movements he could possibly make. I'm talking, that deer was tippy-toeing, and he was walking as slow as he could with his head down, walking, and, he, and then out, and the truck's still sitting there. Then the truck kind of backs up and moves a little bit, and I'm like, they're just positioned. So this guy's fixing to hang a seven mag out the window and mow, mow this deer down. Yeah. Right? The deer starts walking, and all of a sudden, man, like in thin air, he's gone, and nothing but two-inch tall grass, the deer vaporizes to, in front of my eyes. Boom. Right behind a sagebrush and never came back out. Truck backs out and slowly drives away. I'm like, how in the world did that just happen? <laughs> oh my gosh. So I start thinking about all this. I'm like, I need to start gathering. Right now, I need the deer I want to kill is three-quarters of a mile away. He disappeared in the middle of thin air. I'm not even going to go down there and jack with him. The wind's blowing straight from there to me. I could walk up on him, maybe find him, but I don't even know. So I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna back out. It's open in the morning. I'm just gonna back out and go just kind of get my arms around what I just saw. So I get down and go to my truck and I start driving down the road. And it's like an hour later. And here's that white truck parked on the road that I'm on. So I walk up and there's a dude sitting there on his phone. I walk up. And at first I was just gonna walk by, right? And I I mean I walk past the truck. I'm gonna turn around and walk back. Because you know, there's nothing wrong with socializing. Yeah. I'm not going to go over and say, hey, I mean, if you're hunting, you're hunting. I'm hunting. I got a, you know, I got Badlands on. I got a Weatherby on my shoulder. You yeah, tell yeah. I'm hunting, man. <laughs> yeah. So I just walk over. Hey, man, how you doing? Super nice guy. Hey, I'm good. Are you hunting? No, my son is. He got a tag. I said, is he up on that bench? He goes, yep. I said, I was just up on that bench. And uh, I was like, hey, did y'all see anything this morning? No, I haven't seen a deer. I said, was, was you over that pond a while ago? Yeah. You ain't seen nothing? No, uh-uh. And I'm like, do I give up what I know or I just kind of play it cool? I'm like, but I said it the third time. You didn't see anything? He goes, no, why? What did you see? What did we miss? And he said it just like that, right? I said, well, there was a, there was a buck out there in the sage. And I, are you guys trophy hunting? Are you just trying to kill a giant? Are you just hunting nice bucks? He goes, no, it's just nice bucks. I'm like, okay. Well, there's a pretty nice buck. I was just wondering why you guys didn't shoot it. I mean, it was, he goes, where? It was right in front of your truck. He goes, no, nah, no, we, we glassed that whole thing. I said, you looked right over top of it, man. There was a pretty nice buck over there. And uh, he's like, well, I'll be darned. He goes, no, my son put a spotting scope up on the, his son put a spotting scope up and was looking over the pond in the sage at the rim rock where I was setting, looking back there where I was at. And the deer was right under the man at 200 right yards, in front of him, yeah. 225 inch deer right in front of them, 200 yards. And I was like, all right, well, I didn't tell him what I saw. Right, right. But I went back, talked to Jeremy, our friend Tim that was there, and I told him, I got his name. I said, yeah, this is so-and-so. He goes, those guys are hardcore, dude. If they think there's a big buck over there, they're going to beat every bush. I said, well, then we need to just focus on that and beat every bush. Yeah. So day two, we ran into him again. Or that evening, I ran into him, and I just, I was just, you know, I'm, a, I'm an ethical, um, straight-up integrity guy. I'm not, I mean, public land is public land. I'm not going to bully anybody, yeah. but I was pretty firm. I said, well, you're going to get sick of seeing us. I said, I just want you to know right now, because of pre-scouting, Jeremy Duggar, found a deer over here that we're going to hunt and we're you're going to get sick of seeing us so if you want to hunt him hunt him but just know we're not going to back out just because you're here i'm going to stay right here we're not even going to look for another deer we're going to either kill this deer or none at all right i was just i was just straight with him and right. he's like all right cool man no he goes well we haven't scouted that kind of buck over here so man we'll just we'll back off and you know what they were cool about it man 
That's cool. But they did show up one more time. Did they? <laughs> we did see them cruise. I think they thought we were somewhere else because we were two different trucks. and was The one truck was parked up on the main road, and I think they thought because we were there, they turned left and went back to where that pond was, but they didn't realize we had two trucks. And we right. saw we saw them drive through one more time, but when they seen that truck, they turned around immediately and left, and we never saw them again, so they were cool. So that was Saturday opening day. Sunday, we're like, you know, this is just a five-day hunt. Duggar never hunts. We're both men of faith. I will. I it's I will hunt on Sundays on a five day hunt because you only have five days. Right. God knows my heart, so I, I'm just gonna hunt. Son, Jeremy's very dedicated to not hunt Sundays. But I was like, hey man, pray on a little bit. I think you should hunt today, and he did. So yeah. question though, like, so when you looked down there and you saw that truck and you saw the buck, and he disappeared, and you were on your way back to your truck and you watched that other that white truck pull away. What stopped you from calling your buddy and saying, hey, get over here right now. That buck is here somewhere. Let's get set up. Even if we got to walk through the sage to find him and shoot him, that's what we're doing. Like, what stopped you from they doing were, that? They were, they were, I didn't know where, we try not to communicate too much like that. Like gotcha. call each other, text. If you're locked in and uh, if you're constantly connected through phone calls and texting, you're kind of missing the whole point of hunting is to get away and get disconnected. Yeah, yep. And so we try not to text each other and give each other updates in the mornings. We regroup. Gotcha, and, and because gotcha. this was so vast and because there was another car involved, I didn't want to draw a lot of attention. I just wanted to feel it out first. Like I'm a, I'm a laid back, I'm going to approach it and see what's going on kind of guy. And, and so we had a plan to go meet at 11 and eat lunch and then talk about what we saw and make a game plan. So we had a plan to make a plan later. I didn't need to draw more attention to the area than need be because i didn't know where they'd pull up or anything like that right so so uh that evening we did we did put all our focus on that spot and we hit different and then they went up on the rim rock and i stayed out in the sage and we looked couldn't find the buck so we we did so we woke up sunday morning decided we're gonna hunt and we said hey let's let's just go do what we do man let's go put the hammer down let's just go let's just go hound dog this thing down until we find him and kill him meaning let's go walk every so we took the, we took the google earth on our we had a computer in camp that night we pulled yep. up google earth we went to the pond and we just drew a mile and a half circle around the pond and let's literally go walk and push every knob bush let's go walk under every single tree in this one and a half mile square circle right yeah, yeah. and we did and we started uh, at daylight and we started uh, me and Jeremy would set up in strategic points on escape routes on every ridge in a mile and a half circle. And then Tim would walk it out for us and he would walk trying to do a deer drive, get the deer to move him. Cause a buck like that's just going to lay there and let you walk up on him. You know, we hunted the mornings to try to catch him moving. And when we didn't catch him moving, then we started doing forced deer movement. And then, uh, we, by process of elimination, looking at Google earth all day long, we checked off every ridge, every bush. And I'm talking, these are not even a year old boots, and that's the kind of, I yeah. got my, my I got my crispies on right now. But that's they're worn. That's that's the kind of walking <laughs> we do, and um, so Tim's younger than us by quite a bit, and he's he's not feeling it, man. He's like, let's let's go drive around and glass up some deer, you know. I think he's he's really not. I think he's thinking that. And me and Duggar are just these old methodical gray beards, just waiting for just to strike, you know. And we're we're. We're, we're, we're doing all these pushes and, and, and every and with every one that's unsuccessful most people think that, you know we just golly man we're just not doing any good but me and Jeremy are like no man it's process of elimination we're, right. narrow, we're narrowing our margins <laughs> we're fixing to find him yeah. so when we got to the last so we're sitting there we're like we're done coming down a pinch point yeah, and, we're, <laughs> and we're down to the last this is only the second day of the hunt but we're down to the last little 
kind of should we go here or here? So we look at the map, and there's one area that's just outside that circle, just outside that mile and a half, you know, circle. So, you know, a little over a mile from that pond, because the circle wasn't perfect because of the way the terrain was. The, the circle's like this, but the pond's like in the corner of the pond. But but the, where the deer would be is here, right? Right, right. So we're like, this is so we're like, well. And, and we're, we're thinking out loud, like, that's kind of far, you know, from the pond. I'm like, yeah, but, dude, that deer could put his head down and walk and be there in 10 minutes. And that might be where he's wanting to stay now that these trucks are kind of, even though it's not a lot, it's more than he's used to, that might already be enough pressure to make him go completely nocturnal and just stay away from the roads until dark. Because that picture we got of him was 2 a.m. Right. When he was drinking just three days ago, right? So we pull up at that last one, and, man, just it was one of those times where the hair stuck on the back of my neck, and Duggar looks at me he's like, it's going down, man. Like it is going down right now. You're fixing to kill. One of us are fixing to lay eyes on that deer right now. It's happening right now. There's no doubt. We've pushed every other ridge. We've not left one rock under overturned. This is it. I mean, it's just almost like, let's just go, man. It's game time, you know. <laughs> and so I walk to the left, and I'm following this kind of drainage where I'm going to watch the escape route to the left of this big knob. And I'd say this knob's probably 40 acres. Just a knob out in the middle of the sage with some trees on it. It was about right. 40 acres big. And Duggar goes about 500 yards to my right, four or 500 yards to my right. So he's like, so this thing runs like this. The wind's blowing this way. Wind's blowing, people can't see what I'm saying. Wind's blowing northwest to southeast. Right, right. Duggar gets on this side of the ridge. I get on this side of the ridge. Tim goes all the way around and starts zigzagging that thing. And for an hour and a half, we watch his orange vest and orange hat all over that knob all over the top, all around every rock. And when we told him, don't don't just walk in a general area, I want you to literally walk and put boot tracks under every tree on that bush, and we'll sit right here until it's done, because that buck won't move into your eye-to-eye -eye with him. Yeah. That's just how those deer are. And Tim's like, cool, man. And he's, he's, a, he's a good hunter. He's a good guide. He's a good outfitter. But he's a good hunter to be as young as he is, you know. And he's learning, but he's still really good. And that guy did, man. He walked under every bush. He kicked every rock on that thing. And the very last bush he kicked, there like 225 monster was laying, and he walked up eye to eye on him. That buck knew the whole time he was on that ridge kick because he was yeah. making noise. Yeah. But that deer's like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not running across, I'm there. not flying across that sagebrush. And what he's thinking is, I'm going to wait till you're right on top of me, and I'm going to go exactly where you just came from because that's where the danger came from. But uh uh, I've already been shot at. I'm not going to run across that sagebrush because yeah. there's dude, there's two dudes with Weatherby 257s over there, and they're going <laughs> to smoke me down, yeah. and I'm not doing it. So. That buck, when, when, when Tim walked up and got eye-to-eye -eye with that buck, that buck flew out of his bed. Tim didn't even see him. The deer just kept the bush between him and flew out of his bed and took off. Tim said, here, the, the rock crunched, the deer took off, and he looked, and he just saw a white butt, and the deer was through the trees. I don't, and I'm looking, and I can see this happening, and I don't even see the deer. Yeah, I don't see the yeah. deer, but I see Tim stop, like, like he was about to step on a rattlesnake, right? I can see him through my binoculars stop. And it wasn't very long after he stopped walking, Boom, man, I heard that Weatherby go off, Duggar shoots. But it wasn't that loud, so I knew he was shooting the other direction, you know? Yeah. And so I, I get around where I put glass on Duggar, and he's on his shooting sticks looking. And I'm watching, and Duggar, not, he's not coming off them shooting sticks. But it didn't sound like a hit. You know when you hit, when you shoot and you hit a buck, it's ba-boom. But when you miss, it's just a crack, right? Yeah, well, it was yeah. more of a crack, so it wasn't a solid ba-boom, you know? So I waited, waited, and I kept glassing Duggar, and he just wasn't coming off them shooting sticks. I'm talking like three minutes. He's still on shooting sticks looking through his loophole, man, just looking. So I'm like, I better go over there, man. So I go over there walking toward him, and I walk up, and by now he's up on his shooting sticks with binoculars looking. I said, what are we looking at? He never takes his eyes out of his binoculars. He just starts talking to me. Big buck. 
I said, is it him? Because I think so, it's big. And I said, how big? He goes, man, I don't know, this is really, really big. And he kind of perturbed. So I'm like, a bad hit? I don't know. What did he do? He was running. I said, how far? About 500. I said, 500 yards? He goes, that tree on top of that ridge? This is the very last tree. He was going around that when I shot. And, he's, and then he came up and he hit the ground and he came back up and went behind that last tree on the very edge to the right of that. And I'm like, okay, so he never, he didn't know where he hit him. But he's got a gun. It's got a, it's a custom built rifle chambered 257 Weatherby. And uh, it's got like a 27 and a half inch barrel on it. And he, with his loads, he shoots 100 grain barns, triple shocks out of that thing at almost 3,800 feet per second. He has zero drop. The way right. he, he sights in at 350, it's a on the hair of the deer at 500 gun. Yeah, yeah. And it's just amazing. The gun's an anomaly. He's killed. I killed my biggest buck before this one. I killed my biggest deer offhand with it at 300. Jeez. Just, it's an amazing rifle, man. And so I, I didn't, I'm only telling the listeners this because it's the truth. It was a 498-yard shot at a right. running deer, but Duggar can make that shot. Right. If he's got, and the deer wasn't running broadside. He was quartering away. So he had hair. And he had the deer quartering away in his scope the whole time. Yeah, his yeah. crosshairs, right? And he, and he hits the deer. So Tim comes up. We make a little, we're like, man, we're not bow hunters. We can go after this deer right now. Let's go up there right now and get him on the ground. So I circle way around, and Duggar goes right to blood. I go way around thinking I'm far enough around. I walk right up on the sucker, already bedded under a tree, 20 yards, and he's giant. And he flies out from under that, that tree, and I don't even have time for a shot, and he's gone. So I've <sighs> jumped him, but I don't even see where he's hit. But he's right. gone, and he and I, I just didn't – and I was going slow, like still hunting like I was bow hunting. But I think my rifle gave me a false sense of confidence. If I just see him, I'll get him. Right, right. And I should have probably went a little slower, and I walked right up on him, looking Yay. for a better vantage point. So, man, it's that booth right there. Yeah. So I come around a spruce tree, a cedar tree, and he's laying under it looking at me like this, man. Yeah, for people listening, the booth is about 23 yards away. Yeah, and he's laying there looking at me. And he jumps up and he runs. Well, Tim had gone way behind us to the west and got a vantage point where he could see, and that deer came running through that big opening where he was looking. So Duggar's here. I'm here. Tim's over here. That deer's running his front legs flopping, broken at the knee on the right kneecap. Or left kneecap. Yeah. The bullet went under the deer, hit him in the kneecap, oh, and yeah, broke his yeah. leg. So it's gotcha. flopping, right? We get over there, and we get to looking for him, and we're just slowed way down now. And we just finally – and it was getting late in the afternoon when we shot him. Jeremy shot him, so we said, look, we're going to find him because we're not going to spook him. Sorry. We're not going to spook him. And even if coyotes take him down tonight, we'll find him. But let's get up first thing in the morning. So we go back. Well, we get back to camp, and Wesley Warner killed 27, 28-inch four-point that goes in the mid-180s. Beautiful, big chocolate buck. And uh, so now, best-case scenario, I still got a tag. Wesley's tagged out. Jeremy's got a giant buck on the ground we got to find. And Omni, incredible guy. That guy's killed some giants with his bow in the last few years. Omni Warner, uh, him and Wesley are both just excellent hunters. So now it's like, hey, at first thing, they can go help Duggar. Now we got this back back pocket buck that we've got behind in our back pocket right out of camp that we've not even gone to look at yet. Yeah. Everybody thinks he's in the mid-180s. The buck I killed, yeah. scored 194. Everybody's judged him at mid-180s, <laughs> and he's right out of camp. They've scouted him three times, and every time he's been right in this little bowl eating every day. So I'm like, look, that's plan. I'm, I'm, I'm from out of state. We're talking next caliber buck here. We got, like, giant non-typical possibly on the ground i'm just ready to punch my tag now <laughs> yeah. i was like and I'm, then i want to get in on the action but i still want to hunt so i was like look i think the best case scenario is not to have 10 dudes over here looking for this buck let these guys that are real methodical excellent hunters let them go glass up and find this deer 
and I'll go try to see if I want to kill this deer. Right. So I should have brought some water. <clears throat> so I got up, and me and Tim got up uh, and hiked literally 10 minutes out of camp, climbed up on this ridge, and within minutes of daylight, Tim's like, hey, I think I got your buck. And he's got his swirl set up, and I look through the glass. And I'm like, man, is this the buck they were talking about? They're like, yeah, this is him, man. I'm like, yeah, the way we're shooting that deer right now. <laughs> And so, but it was four, it was five hundred, uh-huh. and uh, I'm not a dope chart and turrets kind of guy. I just shoot a two fifty seven Weatherby, shooting thirty six hundred feet per second, sighted in three and a half high at a hundred or dead on at three fifty. Right. I like to shoot sub five hundred yard shots at yep. five hundred. I have to put it just over hair. I don't like that, but I shoot enough to know where to hold. But I still like my crosshairs on meat when I shoot. Right. Uh-huh. I said, well, let's let's get to four fifty. And I drop about 20 inches at 450. I know where to hold. I'll just shoot him. But the wind was blowing 20 miles an hour. Mm. So um, I, we, we look at it and we're like, well, let's drop down one bench. He's like, let's go real slow because there could be does, right? There's always does feeding on this bench. Let's not spook them. My buck's still bedded. He's laying down down there. And sure enough, man, we start making our way down the next bench to gain like 50 yards to make like a 450 shot. Uh, we're walking. All of a sudden, Tim goes, dang, man, does, does. And I look, and there's five does bouncing below us. And they turn to go across this big opening, headed right to my bedded butt. Oh, so it's like now or never, man. I'm going to have to shoot him. So I did the whole classic. Always wanted to do this, man. I run over to the cliff, take off my Badlands pack, my 2200. I throw it down, lay my rifle down, and I'm ready to shoot. And Tim's like, don't shoot. Well, he's setting up his phone scope on his on his. Uh, on his spotter right right and he's getting his dslr set up on me so he could have two angles he wanted to film me shooting and the deer in the spotter yep and i thought it was all for social media purposes and i'm like i don't give a crap about that stuff man i'm shooting and so you can hear us and uh I'm, and he's like don't shoot i said i'm shooting don't shoot i'm shooting don't shoot i said damn it i'm shooting this buck right now <laughs> i try not to swear too much but uh I, I did. I said on camera, damn it, Tim, I'm shooting right now. <laughs> and finally he goes, pound him. And I mean, it don't even get out of his mouth. Boom. <laughs> Two feet low and right. You see dust hit, man. I'm like, man, I, I, I can't believe I'm that low and right. And uh, so I put another one in and I ha- aim in the middle of his back straps. Boom. Right in front of his brisket. Man, Tim's calling the shots because he's got his digiscope. Phone scope. Got phone scope set yeah. up with his camera. And he's looking at it. He goes, low right. So then I put it right on the base of his tail. I put the crosshair right where his tail meets his ham. Yeah. I'm a little too far back, but my height, or is, uh, or my, I'm a little too, I'm still a little too low, but my, my, uh, a little far back. Yeah. So if I put, if I'd have put it right above the front of his hip, I'd have heart shot him. Yeah. But I shoot and boom, you hear it. Boom, what? You know, and he bows up. And I think I posted that clip, but it wasn't a perfect shot. And for the sake of uh, respect for the deer, Respect for Weatherby, respect for myself, and yeah. the, I decided to take that clip down because it wasn't a perfect shot. It was such a cool shot. You see the vapor trail, but when you look, it looks like it goes right in his guts. Oh, but it okay. was the liver. It was the bottom of the liver, but it was real, right? And there's 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 people keeping it real, and that's one thing. But out of respect for the animal and the people involved, I decided later, you know what? That doesn't do the best thing for that deer, so I'm going to take that down. Right, so I just right. took that shot out there, but it hit him in the liver. He bows up and kind of goes over the hill. Holy crap, man, we got him. But because of the situation now, we got two bucks hit. You know, we don't know where we're at with Duggar's buck. My buck is now clearly hit. Yeah. Let's just sit here. We sit for two hours. 
I think it was the longest prayer of my life. I prayed like solid for two hours, man. <laughs> you know, I was like a child. And God bless my mom and dad, and God bless the dog, and bless Jeremy Thanks and the Lord. Just, yeah, the house. Thank you for my job. And, yeah, uh, just so thankful for the opportunity. And, and I shot that deer, and uh, and so anyway. Long story short, man, I make a huge half mile circle, and I like let's get the wind right. I'm gonna go get to where. Tim, you just go at blood. Like so, here's the deal. I'm gonna go off this cliff, way around to where I have a vantage point with the wind in my favor. Tim, you walk at the deer. If you see him, he'll get up, and I'll get a second shot. But he's yeah. hit. He's hit in the body cavity. He's not gonna be moving very good. No, I'll, I'll get no. him. Yep. And uh, I was shooting 110 grains Barnes uh, Acubon. It's a good bullet, and I mean, it does a lot of damage, you know, even for that hit. Yep. And uh, it exited on the camera. You could see a dust cloud behind the deer, you know. Like, you could tell it, it, it went all the way through him. I get over there. Tim comes right to where blood's supposed to be, and there's nothing. There's no deer. There's no blood. There's no tracks. And he finally finds tracks, and where he calls me, hey, dude, I got nothing. I'm like, what do you mean you got nothing? There should be mean greener. There should be something right there, man. There's nothing. I'm like, that's, that's bull crap. <laughs> He's right there, Tim. Keep looking. He keeps looking. Finally, I start looking, but and I can see Tim 75 yards from me, just yeah, straight across yeah. the sagebrush from me on the little knob the deer was bedded on. And I'm like, oh, man, there he is. There's the deer because there's an arroyo right there. I can see it now between me and Tim. I was like, hey, don't move. I'm on the phone with my cell phone. I said, I want you to keep watching to your left. My right, your left. Watch. There's a giant arroyo. That's where the deer's at. I'm going to walk over to it. If he goes down it, Watch to see where he, he'll go to the head of the canyon and come out of it. Those deer will travel those arroyos. That's what Duggar's buck did. I'm going to go back to Duggar's buck when yeah. I lost him. When he vaporized into thin air, Yeah. there was a narrow, very deep arroyo right there. So when he walked, dropped in it, was gone. And he followed that thing 300 yards up to a cliff and was gone. I never saw him. Gotcha. So that's what those big deer do in that open country. They drop in those arroyos that are like 10 feet deep yep. and only about five or six feet wide. And they just travel them like highways. The bottoms of them are full of deer tracks. And those big bucks, they can be out there in broad daylight just walking up and down those things, right? So uh, I get up and I walk over to the arroyo. And I, mean, I got my pack on one shoulder. Rifle, off safety, scope on four and a half power, ready. ready for a fast shot. I walk up, I turn to the left, and I look, no deer. Goosebumps on this, like, on this side of my face, just chill bumps, man, because I just dropped the pack. He's laying right there, man, 194-inch buck, 30 yards, laying there looking at me over his hips like this. That's why in that one picture is that big streak on his neck. Because I hit him, and you're like, man, you know, in the video that was up, you could tell I hit him in the liver. Yeah. But he's got this big hole in his neck in this street. I singed all the hairs off that far on his neck, man. <laughs> that that bullet had the full 36 Hondo right there <laughs> at, thir at 30 yards. I mean, I just offhand, boom, shot. All I had was neck and head yeah, looking at yeah. him over his rump, and I didn't want to shoot him in the hams, so I put it on his neck. Well, that bullet rode right down his side and just skinned him right here all the way to where the bullet went in, just singed the hairs off because that bullet had to be glowing red hot that close, you know. Yeah. And uh, boom, just dropped him, and then I just lost my crap, man. Oh, my God, Tim comes over, and, and then Tim's like, dude, I want to get the raw emotion. Tim's a video guy. Okay. And I'm a, I don't care about video. Right, right. But, but I'm like, man, I want to be respectful. He's here. Let's capture the moment. Yeah. And so he drops in on the Royal and sets the camera up, looking over the deer's head to his rump, and I walk from that – you know, it was like the major cheesy old 1990s video where you walk up and the camera's between the deer's antlers and the guy walks up and pokes him with a barrel. Yeah. It wasn't meant for that. It was to capture my raw emotion as yeah. I approach the deer. And he's got the camera facing the deer's head to his butt. And I walk up from the butt. And, man, you'll see in the seminar, maybe I'll post that video. But it's very emotional. 
open mouth, slobber, tears, real emotion because I had just achieved a major goal in my life. I, and then the overwhelming, uh, what a beat down New Mexico has been. So Omni's brother killed his deer. Wesley killed that deer. I know Omni better, so I keep saying that. We should just... Wesley killed his deer the night before, giant buck. It's gutted. It's 20 degrees at night. The deer's in the shade with a tarp over it with ice packs in it and around it. Because we're right. like, he was going to skin it the next day. Uh-huh. And we were like, hey, we already got Duggar's buck hit. What are the odds I'm going to kill a buck? You don't see pictures like that anymore with three giant bucks like the old days, right? No. So we made the effort to keep that deer good in the shade. And we put that deer in the shade with a tarp over it, stuffed full of ice bags. I got my deer in camp. All we had to do was gut it. We were able to get a four-wheeler down close to a road and get that deer out. So my deer's gutted, and we got him propped up under a cedar tree and took a cord and tied his head up. So he's posed perfect for a picture later, right? Yeah. He rigged out in the perfect pose. And Omni had done that, or Wesley had done that the night before with his deer. So we got these two deer drying in a perfect pose. It's 25 degrees at night, not even in the 40s. They're perfectly fine. We didn't lose an ounce of meat. And uh, meat's always the first priority. I just want to say that as a disclaimer. You know, Mm -hmm. meat's Mm -hmm. always the priority. So now we get the text at 2 o'clock. We're trying to text Duggar, and he's not answering. So we know, well, bottom line is him and Omni and Wesley get over there they glassed that buck up at 900 yards at 9 a.m. Duggar gets the wind right like he's bow hunting, and at 2 o'clock had stalked in to 90 yards and smoked him and killed him. Had to wait for him to stand up. And he finds the deer un- alive, fine. Every once in a while, he'd stand up and eat, lay right down, stand up. But he could never get a shot in that real tall sagebrush. So Jeremy just started stalking until he got 90 yards from him at two, 9 to 2. Sunburnt like I've never seen him. Sun. He just he stayed out in the open with that deer, and um, smoked him. And That's it's so pretty cool. amazing. And he shot him. And so they had their moment. But anyway, he gets into camp that night with a two twenty five non typical. I've got a one ninety four gross typical, and Wesley's got a twenty eight inch one eighty five typical. And they're all in a row, propped up. We got our old time on a general tag in New Mexico. The keys to that was pre scouting, finding deer. And not leaving one stone unturned, knowing once you find them, because Wesley killed a deer the same way, a friend of ours, Calvert, had found that deer and said, I know where a great buck is. I've seen him off and on. And they hunted the second day, got him. They just hunted till they found him. No, no, yeah, yeah, second day of season that night. And it was a long shot. I think he did some shooting. It did quite a bit of shooting, that 264 wind mag, but he got him. And uh, they got him down on the ground. So uh, the keys to success on that hunt were pre-scouting, using topography, keying in on water sources that time of year. The bucks were living around water. They weren't with big doe groups. Right, they were right. solitary. All of our bucks were solitary bucks. There was a doe group <laughs> living near my buck. There wasn't another deer living within miles of dog, Duggar's non-typical. He was just an old man of the mountain. And that deer was old, scarred up, beer can, you know, soda bases. can, bases. He was just an old monarch, a true monarch, living out in the middle of nowhere, never getting bothered. Yeah. And then we made him get out of his bed. And that's what forced it into to killing him. And so with that, um, that's mid-season. In late-season hunting, we always did, you know, the late January hunts and the late rifle hunts. Yep. We always just hunt doe groups. So this would be real quick. We don't key on food sources. We don't key on water. We find the does, hunt the bucks. And then the biggest buck I ever killed until this year was a 192, a typical four-point that I killed in New Mexico in the same general tag. And um, killed him on forced deer movement on day two. Did a deer drive. And we, uh, people have heard this story a hundred times because it's my favorite story. It was a four-man deer drive. One guy jumped him. He tried to J-hook that guy, ran into the other driver, 
Finally, the deer realized there's two guys on this hill. He's going to have to go across the sage flat, and he busted out, ran across the bottom. Me and Duggar were across the ridge, a set point, waiting to shoot. Larry sees the deer at five feet, get up in front of him, runs up, runs into Jer- J- Jimmy Hambrick. The deer turns, runs across the sage flat, because now he knows I've got to cross this. Goes across the sage flat and goes to go up through some junipers and, and, and PJ. And uh, I see Larry starts clapping his hands. Sound like rocks rolling, trying to get our attention. We look across, there's Larry. Right below Larry's this Boone and Crockett buck running. And when he hits the, uh, the canyon, across the canyon, hits there, I get him in the scope, and he starts zigzagging. I'm like, he's going to stop and pause for a second. Hopefully he's in the open because he's going to decide which way he wants to go. Sure enough, he hits a little opening, stops, looks right, looks left. I come down on him, boom, touch off the shot, hit him in the neck, dropped him dead. But it was, a, it was Jeremy's gun. And, I mean, we can pretty much shoot basketballs at 300 yards off him with that gun all day long. It just, But we practice shooting a lot. Yeah, yeah. And um, drop that buck. So that was a forced deer movement. When they're with the does and you're on a five-day hunt, you can glass early and late, middle of the day. We're going to get deer moving around. Do something. And we're going to get them moving. Yeah. And that's what we do. And that's how we've killed most of our deer. Um, we killed a deer on a doe group early in 2010. Jeremy killed a 213 typical four-point on the Navajo, his biggest typical. And that deer we hunted for two years. He was named B.B., and at the end of October, that big buck was already in a doe group. And uh, I'd like to tell you some awesome killer story, but we road hunted, rolled up on a ro- group of does at the end of a road, a logging road, got out, and the buck just materialized with all the does at 90 yards, and he smoked him down, killed him, 213-inch deer. But that's the story. Nothing fancy right. about it. But just knowing that buck with that with doe groups that low that early on that mountain there's a big buck around and the buck we were after happened to be with those does and he got him so right. hunt the food source then hunt solitary water sources in the mid-season late season hunt the does it's that simple it really is that simple yeah. but know what the food is make sure the water source makes sense and go find isolated doe groups so you're not having to compete for the deer right yeah so that's kind of it in a nutshell no, that make that makes perfect sense. And and how how cool is it to realize that those big bucks are using I don't remember the name of the drill, super deep ravines. What'd you call those? Arroyos. Arroyos, yeah. I mean They use them and they use them in the high country. They'll yeah. use topography in the high country. I've watched deers come out of willow patches, what looked like virtually just flat slope of a mountain, and the deer just disappear. Right. And the more you start picking apart, you'll see a little line of rocks. And yeah. that well that thing looks like it's an inch deep from here. You go over there, that thing's four feet deep and four <laughs> feet wide. If you really start watching, you'll see tips of antlers. Yeah. You know, where I hunt in East Texas, one of my favorite spots to hunt now is on a pipeline that's got a creek on it. And the first two years, uh, I'd see deer just pop up on one side or the other with this power line. Well, I went down there a little further this year, and look, there's a creek right there. Gotcha. So I started watching that creek, and more times than not, I'd see deer antlers going across that creek this year. So I put me a tree stand up, so now I can look over in that there thing. There you go. And I'm bow hunting those big whitetails. So, yeah. But yeah, they use topography to their advantage, and they know it better than... It's like knowing the hallway in your house. Yes. And if you're... There's no way... If you're in a 100-yard of a deer between his bedding area and where he's headed to eat that's like somebody being between you and your television he's gonna right. see it and know it instantly so yep you're gonna know it yeah well awesome mark i i mean honestly i could sit here and just talk deer with you for probably the next three days of the show <laughs> yeah i could i got I, the stories man well and i eat it up because i you know i grew up hunting and hunting was was literally like when i grew up we didn't have all that much money yeah which my parents did absolutely amazing and i am it, i wouldn't have had it any other way but when we went hunting it was brown down. We yes. need meat. That's it. Yeah. And I, I, 
it drives it's it's interesting to me how how the hunting industry tries to portray that but then you see somebody that hunts literally 10 15 tags a year and they try and tell you that's the only reason they do it that drives me nuts yeah and and i have no problem with any of it if you're doing it to fulfill you and and yourself and and yes you eat the meat too awesome great but i just it for me it it yeah we we had to buy another freezer this year yeah, so yeah, yeah. you know awesome. um I, so i hands down i love the meat but I love the challenge too. I love trying to locate them. And, you know, like I say, growing up, nobody bow hunted in my family, nothing like that. So I can't really go to my dad and say, Hey dad, you know what, what do you, what would you think of this? Now, does my dad have insight? Absolutely. But it's a different type of insight. You know what I mean? So I love talking with people like yourself or like Robbie Denning that is just so immersed in mule deer and what they do, why they do it. Why are they here? Why aren't they over there? And I, uh, man, I could just talk with you for hours. I talk to you as long as you have me, man. I got a seminar today at three. I got to go do that, but I'd sit here till then, man, and talk to you because it's, it's just, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's my number one hunting passion, Yeah. you know, um, and I love it. And I spent a lot of time doing it. And it was one of those things where as soon as I started hunting mule deer, I just knew, you know, I got into elk heavily in the 2000s, early 2000s. I killed a lot of bulls and enjoyed it, but Especially now living back in Texas, I only pick one or two hunts a year. I go on out of state, and uh, it's going to be I can abandon I can completely abandon elk hunting altogether just because I've killed so few, and I have I loved eating them. And, yeah. and honestly, man, if I go now, I'm cow hunting because I have no more room for bulls, and it's got to be a really big bull to mount it. And you know, big bulls are awesome, but but there's no justifying it. There's elk people, and there's mule deer people, yeah. and there's yep. some people who love both, and they hunt them when they're in season. And if I still lived out west, I'd probably split my season up, my interest up. Yeah. But it really is just mule deer for me because there's nothing else like them. They, um, you know, them and their and, and blacktail and mule deer. And I've never hunted blacktail, but I want to. Yeah. Um, but there's really nothing like mule deer, you know. And and they, they're to be so big and so tough. They're really a fragile species, and uh, they need our help, man. So I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna plug MDF right now. Do it. The Mule Deer Foundation. Uh, when you join, that's the easy 35 bucks. You get six issues a year of the MDF magazine. Uh, I typically have an article in there. My whole hunt. Go buy MDF right now and grab that uh, grab that magazine right now because it's got that article in it. Oh, cool. And all of our pictures. Yeah. The whole story I just told you is in that magazine. Yeah. So right now, if you join and get the January February issue, that that magazine that's got that story in it. And uh, but man, it puts money on the ground in your state for mule deer and yep. that's when you join your local chapter and uh you know when i was t- when i was i'm t- when i was 25 i started hunting mule deer 24 when i was 25 i wanted to know how to kill a mule deer yeah if i'll be 50 on my birthday this year at 50 i want to know how to save a mule deer i'm more interested in perpetuating mule deer and having mule deer for my grandchildren i got six grandkids and i want them to hunt mule deer and love them like i do because they're just they're just amazing animals, man, and they're fragile, and they need us. And yeah. their habitat shrinking, and they're, uh, these winters have been hard on them, man. Oh. And so a lot of this people complain when you can't get a tag, man, it's supply and demand. Well, we complain about hunting. Well, hunting shrinking, good. I mean, for right now, good, because so are the t- opportunities. The yeah. opportunities, I don't believe hunting is shrinking. I mean, the numbers prove that it is, but it's harder and harder to get tags because as conservationists, we're paying attention. And we're cutting back on those tags to make sure we're not overhunting and overkilling the animals. So everybody needs to just be an adult about it. Ride a few years, build some points, and be happy if you're going every other year. Eventually, we're not going to have hunting. It's going to happen in our lifetime. 
probably in your lifetime, it's going to be really hard by the end of your days for you to get a tag. If you live a good, long, old life, yeah. by the time you're a gray old man, it's going to be hard. Hunting's going to be really difficult. And I'm not trying to be a naysayer. So really appreciate it, enjoy it, and love it now while you can and put everything you can into it, meaning money, resources, time. Do all you can for it. Because if, just like, uh, you can't have an opinion on the president if you don't vote, right? right? Well, if you're not buying tags and you're not putting money into hunting and you're not a member of these organizations, you don't really have a say. So just shut your mouth. Yeah. And let the people doing the work do the work. Yep. But I encourage everybody listening today to go join an organization, buy a hunting license, and be an active member of our of, of hunting. And hunting is not about likes. It's not about branding. It's not about social media. It's not about who makes the best guns and bows. It's about putting sustainable protein in your freezer and getting a nice collection of antlers along the way and hides and things like and that. Memories. Just keeping it in the memories. These stories, oh, man. when I go to my grave, I don't know where the deer heads are going to be or the rugs or the meat, but I know these stories are going with me, man, and I'll be right. telling them in my deathbed, and that's what it's all about for me. So. And and that's it's funny that we can end on that, basically, because that, that's the whole reason I got into filming. It wasn't to start this media company, which... I'm blessed and I've, I feel fortunate that it is blown up like it has. Yeah. That's incredible. But I literally bought my first camera purely off the fact of thinking, well, my son doesn't get to go on all my hunts and neither does my dad and my wife. And I want to show them what it was like when I get home. That was it. And yeah. now it's what it is now, which is, a, which is incredible. It's but huge. Yeah. It's just, that's not why I got, I, I just wanted to someday, like you say, with your grandkids. I mean, cause I remember when I was little, I'd look up at the wall, dad, tell me that story or granddad, tell me that story. And I'm, I, I can't wait for it. Cause I'll be like, I can tell you the story, but you can watch it too. Yes. That's amazing. That's a and, whole new era. Yeah. Yeah. My grandson, Carson, that's my son's son. He's my namesake grandson. He, he comes in and uh, he wants to kill an elk. He wants to kill, he wants, he wants to kill a 300 pound hog. He's six years old. His goal in life is to kill a 300-pound boar like Papa, And he wants to kill a big bull elk. Those are his two favorite things. <laughs> That's so and he's cool. like, And he likes to come in, and I'll start telling the stories to people come in. And when you walk in the entryway of my home, the first room in my home is my man cave, and that's where all my mounts are. And so when I greet people, my grandson's right there starry-eyed staring at me, and I start telling the stories, and he's gotten to that now. Like, tell me about that one. And when he was a little boy, I'd have to walk him through, and my granddaughters, they would uh -huh. pet every one of them. Yep. And every one of them. What's his name? What's his name? They all have names now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Do you remember when, uh, you, uh, dude, where's my car? Yeah. Yeah. My two biggest whitetails were named Chester and whatever the other guy's name was, my son, Travis. He was a little guy when that came out, Chester and whatever. He, he's got those guys, those two biggest whitetails from Kansas right. are named. Yeah. And my two biggest bulls are Hank and Tank. And, you know, they just have fun time naming them, yeah. you know, and it's, it's all fun. Oh, so. my little boy, he, he just turned one at the end of December. And, uh, I'm gonna get a photo, uh, oh, yeah. with us, with our headgear. Yeah. Can, can you step back and get like a photo of us doing the podcast? Yeah. Uh, awesome. We'll just turn kind of this way. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, uh, whatever looks best, make it work, man. <laughs> Yeah, it, uh, you know, it, it was so funny because my, uh, uh, my son just turned one at, at, well, one of my sons, he turned one December 28th. And, uh, you know, ever since he was, gosh, I don't even know, little, six months, you know, um, I, I started teaching him what the word deer was. Yeah. I got two deer shoulder mounts yeah. in the house, white tail mule deer, and I say, where's the deer? And I say, that's the deer. Where's the deer? That's the deer. Yeah. And then pretty quick got to the point, six months. Hey, buddy, where's the deer? He'd look up at the mountain and go like that. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And then, man. and then I'd pick him up and I would hold I would hold him way up there because we have vaulted ceilings right above our kitchen table. Yeah. And I hold him way up and he'd reach up there, he'd touch the ear, and I'd drive in, you touch the deer. <laughs> you touch the and he'd just get this look on his face, you know, like <gasps> Thanks, the, man. The Appreciate deer. you so much. The deer, the deer, you know, I touched the deer. Like, yeah. like and and I, I honestly didn't really think anything about it until my wife goes and, and was actually heartfelt. He goes, she goes, he knows what a deer is and he doesn't know what mom is. And <laughs> I felt so, I, yeah. I felt so bad. I was like, oh, what have I done? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So then it was, where's mom? Where's, you know, for the next three weeks, where's mom? Where's, you know, we, so we kind of paved over it. But yeah. But it was just so great, you know. Where's that, the deer, buddy? <gasps> that, that reminds me of my favorite meme. I don't know if you ever saw the one. Uh, Henry Ferguson had it up. Have you done a podcast with him yet? No. You I need, need Big to. Chief Wackabuck? Yeah. Oh, man, I love Henry. You need to get him on here, man. Yeah. I would love to do one with him. He, he's a funny. Is he here? Do you know? I don't know if he made it or not. I'm hoping so. But, I'll reach out to But he had a here. meme up last year, and there's a guy and a kid in a car, and he's like, the kid's like, uh, want to know why his sister was named something? He goes, because it's something your mom really likes. And he goes, something. He goes, anyway, the kid's name is, uh, uh, no problem, Big Muley Bucks. <laughs> they named their kid after the first, they loved the most, right? Like the daughter's name was Rose, right? Or something. Uh, no problem, Big uh, Big Muley Buck. That's the kid's name. So, yeah, kids love what dad loved, man. And that's my, I never forced my kids to hunt, but they're both absolute straight-up killers. And I never took them hunting until they asked. And once I took them hunting and they asked, I made sure. And one thing dads need to know, here's another public service announcement from Muley Slayer. When you do take your kids hunting, don't take them on your hunt for your animal that you only have your vacation time for. Because you're going to be focused on the wrong parts of the hunt. It's about filling your tag. If you take a kid hunting, take them on a squirrel hunt, turkey hunt, groundhog hunt. Take them on a hunt. Build it up. Look, if you live in Ohio and your kid wants to go on a hunt, Take them in the springtime when it's warm out, turkey hunting, or in Pennsylvania. Take them on a rock chuck hunt. Take them to Grandpa's farm. Yeah. Get the 22 out and go set a tent up out in the hay pasture and take them on a rock chuck hunt. Roast the marshmallows. Make the whole hunting experience awesome for them, shooting woodchucks, yeah. squirrels, and turkeys. Then they are already growing and knowing the hows and twos and winds. So when it is time to go deer hunting, my kids' first hunts were shed hunts. Right. We would go shed hunting, and then we'd have roast. My, to this day, if I'm taking my son hunting, we're taking those uh, sausages with the cheese already in them. That's his favorite hunting memory in the springtime, turkey hunting, roasting on a stick. When the cheese pops out, they're good to eat, right? That's right. his favorite thing. So, anyway, make the hunt for the kids, and then when you do take them on a serious hunt, they're prepped for it. Right, and, and I even I even took it one step, maybe not one step further, but I just I approached it differently. My, my son... And the one that's seven now, when he was two years old, he was literally sitting on my shoulders when I shot an elk wow. with a rifle. Yeah. And that day, he walked probably about a mile and a half and 14 inches of snow at two years old. Wow. And it was insane. And what, what I took out of all the trips that he's been on is that, number one, he always wanted to go. But if I said, hey, buddy, do you want to go hunting? And he said no, I couldn't show that I was upset because yeah. I, yeah, of course I wanted yeah. to go with him. Sure. But number two, every single hunt I went on with him, it wasn't, 
I was going on that hunt knowing and not really caring that I shot anything. Yeah. It was, hey, we're going to go try and get close. We're going to try to make it happen. But I know I have a two-year-old with me and it's not going sure, to happen. Sure. And then that took all the pressure away like you were talking because if, if you're on the opposite end of that and like you said, you take your this is your once in a lifetime tag or whatever. And you've got five days and that's all you have. And then you take your kid on top of that. They're probably not going to really enjoy that. No, that much. Not, not at all. Yeah. yeah. Cause you're going to be a different person. Yep. You're going to be wound up, stressed out, yeah. short with them. And they're going to be like, does dad even want me? <laughs> yeah. And I've done those too. Yep. You know, I learned yep. and I just learned yep. from my mistakes, but I always tried to make it fun. Like fishing. Yep. Don't take them to your favorite pike hole or bass fishing hole. The first time you go, you take kids fishing, you got to go perch pond. Make sure they catch fish, man. Yeah, you know? or brook trout. Yeah. Just one, yeah. one cast after Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that part yep. of the country, yeah, where I'm at, it's bluegills, yep. you know. Yep. So anyway, cool, but, man. But yeah, it's, I, I agree with you completely because I, I would just go on those at the mindset. I'm going out here to let him experience the animals and see them. We're not going out here to shoot one. Yeah. If we get the opportunity, absolutely, we'll try to make it happen. But that's yeah. that's not the goal. The goal is let him have fun and we're going to do it. We're going to have fun together. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Sure. But, and like I said, we, we could talk for the next yeah. hour long. And then we, I thought we were done like three times already, Yeah, I know. <laughs> but we just I, keep going. We just keep going. But yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time and, and I, I enjoyed this doing it in person. It, yeah, it yeah. was a lot of fun. Sure, so, man. Me too. I loved much. it. And I'll be on anytime. Just give me a call. Yeah, I will do for sure. Thanks a bunch, Mark. All right, Zach. Thanks, man. Thank you for tuning into the show. It means a lot to us. But seriously, though, I really appreciate your ear, and it would mean the world to me if you would rate our podcast. If you didn't like it, one star it, but if you did, a five is even better. Don't forget to comment, like, share, and hit that subscribe button. Thanks again for tuning into the show. Some other podcasts that you should definitely check out are Eastman Elevated with Bride and Barney. And Hunt Harvest Health with Ryan and Hillary Lampers.